Talk Back Gardening with John Lamb and Deb Tribe on ABC Radio Adelaide, South Australia and Broken Hill. Good morning and welcome to Talk Back Gardening. Good morning, John Lamb. Good morning, Deb. Good morning, gardeners. And how's the garden going? How is it surviving now? Variable weather, cold and wet and a little bit of warmth, but... Uh, it's interesting to note just exactly what's going on out there and we'll talk a lot about it in this morning's program. Um, one of the plants that are really suffering, of course, are lawns and we'll talk lawns with Stefan Palm, turf consultant, very, very shortly. See if we can't get your lawns ready for Christmas but he'll also take a look at the effects of uh, uh, how the temperatures and, and the moisture in the soil affect uh, the different kind of grasses that we grow. Later in the program, codlin moth. Many people are growing their own apples and they loved the thought of picking an f- apple fresh from the garden and uh, munching into it. But uh, cotton moth is one of the big downsides and we're going to talk a little bit about why you, if you've got uh, apple trees, you should spray for cotton moth as soon as you possibly can. Okay, and you would like to know if people are still or have yet seen the citrus gall wasp emerging yes. on their citrus trees. But they should have reached their peak in the middle of last week when it was pretty miserable. And I'm just fascinated. What's happening to the wasps as they come out? Are they getting washed away? And a quick comment on that from... Uh, uh, but, uh, yeah, more about citrus gall wasp, but your comments would be appreciated. Are you seeing that they have actually emerged from the galls? And you'll know that by the little pinprick holes. If the galls are just nice and smooth, they haven't come out yet. And the question is, will they come out? Yes, maybe they're looking at the weather and going, no, I'm just going to stay here, thank you very much. Richard from Tusmore already on the text line says, still no sign of galls hatching. A small peach crop with severe leaf curl. Doesn't sound great, Richard. But if you would like to tell us if you've seen galls emerged, the text line is at 0467922891. But for all questions, and particularly in this half an hour, questions about your lawn for Stefan Palm. Call in right now on 1300 222 891. 1300 222 891. And I have a couple of ABC Gardening Australia November issues to give away a little bit later in the program as well. I suspect that spring 2022 will go down into the record books as being colder than normal and certainly wetter than normal. And these two factors are certainly having a big effect on uh, different plants in the garden. What's happening with lawns? Let's take a look at the lawns and whether we can get them ready for Christmas. Stefan Palm is our turf consultant and uh, talks on talkback gardening many often, um, often and also as a wonderful, uh, writes a br- brilliant lawn blog each week. But let's say good morning to Stefan Palm. Morning, John. Morning, Deb. So how are the lawns responding to such cold, wet conditions? Yeah, it's a great question because most of um, Adelaide's lawns are called warm season grasses <laughs> and they, they thrive in the warm weather, which we obviously don't have much of at the moment. So... Um, we're finding that the um, the typical cooches, kikuyus and buffaloes are just taking a little longer to emerge from their winter dormancy. They have, but they're just a bit slower. That's that's um, um, one of the effects of the, the cooler, wetter weather. All right. We yeah. might take a look at that in detail shortly. But the other area, I suppose, is uh, weeds. I'm getting the impression that uh, in some areas there's more weeds than lawn. Oh, look, it's the, these enduring kind of early spring 
um, temperatures and 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 moisture are just creating this this um, extended period of of um, weed nirvana, if you like. Like they love it. Like they're um, they're not only germinating and growing your, your typical broadleaf ones, but they're going to seed quickly and they're they're um, replicating themselves. Um, so you know you very quickly um, ending up from just a few weeds to a a lawn full of them and, and wondering what can I do next. Again, we'll come back to weeds shortly, but uh, there are things such as uh, sowing lawns at this time of the year, rolling out turf, uh, there are problems with mites, uh, there are so many issues facing gardeners that I thought uh, I'd give listeners a heads up if they would like to talk and get a, a solution to their problem uh, Stefan Palm is the person to talk to so we'll get your questions in on lawns as quickly as we yes, possibly can Yes, 1-300-222-891 I don't have a lawn Stefan, I've only got a weed carpet I'm afraid <laughs> Screen though I suppose <laughs> <laughs> So let's take a look at our warm season gla- grasses Kikuyu, Cooch and Buffalo we just assume that uh, they're just warm season grasses and they're all the same but they're not uh, could you tell us the essential difference of how these lawns react when we get colder or wetter conditions yeah and it's um they do react differently so you get lawns like buffalo your soft leaf buffaloes which are, are common um, grasses around the traps they they're a, a subtropical grass and they um um the, the colder it is, the longer they stay in dormancy. So you'll find that um, buffalo lawns are um, dragging their heels. Um, I visited one yesterday where it was still in winter dormancy, funnily enough, in the shade. Okay, so there's buffalo. What about Kikuyu and Cooch? They have a, 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 that they, will, they will have already come out of dormancy now and um, um, are growing slowly. And then um, the, the most vigorous, um, shortest dormancy grass is, of course, the kikuyu grasses. Okay. So let's take a look at the structure of a kikuyu grass. Uh, what gives it its, its, its durability? It's certainly by far the toughest of the lawns compared with uh, cooch or, or buffalo. Why is it so tough? Because it has um, two types of runners in it. Um, it's got the above-ground ones called stolons and the underground ones called rhizomes. And those those are the ones that kind of spread around where you don't see them. But some people will um, think that they're uh, the reason they wouldn't choose a kaikuyu lawn because they're invasive. But they are actually what gives kaikuyu its its um, enduring durability. Okay, so it, so the know. kaikuyu's got both a stolon and a rhizome. Cooch grass, yep. what's it got? It's got the same. Um, they're not quite as vigorous as as um, as kaikuyu, but it still has the underground ones, which is why it's such a common sports grass choice. Um, um, rhizomes and stolons, whereas buffalo only has the um, the stolons on top, so no rhizomes underneath. All right. Which so, makes it less... <clears throat> so it then comes down to what do you want? If you want a tough lawn, presumably you go for a kikuyu, and if you want a, a, a an attractive lawn or a shade tolerant lawn, you go the other end to, to buffalo. Oh, exactly. It's 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 deciding what um, what you want the best. So if you want um, low maintenance and you've got a bit of shade, then um, buffalo is the way to go. It's still durable. It's just not as durable as cooch and kaikuyu. Yeah, and what's what's, what's the place for cooch? Um, cooch is is um is a grass that rewards you with with beautiful presentation if you want to tip the effort in. So there's a lot of um, cooch junkies out there that um, get on there with their Scott Bonner lawnmowers and um, get you get yourself a beautiful looking grass, very fine textured carpet looking. So, um, and then the um the kaikuyu on the other end, if you've got lots of traffic, pets, um, if you've got um, sport kids and all sorts of things going on in your backyard and you want something that's going to repair really quickly, 
then um, Kaiki is the way to go. Okay, so that's the issue. If you know exactly what you want out of a lawn, there's a lawn to suit those particular needs. Stefan, exactly. uh, we're talking with Stefan Palm, turf consultant here in Adelaide, and the questions are starting to roll in, Stefan, so I'll stand back, enjoy my <laughs> cup of coffee, and <laughs> you and Deb can talk. Certainly. No we put the call out and you've answered one three hundred triple two eight nine one. If you can get Stefan Palm, um, he's a great get. Kim from Glenelg is first here. Now, um, what's your question for Stefan, Kim? Hi, um, I'm having trouble with my lawn infiltrating the garden. Um, can't keep up with pulling it out. Um, just wondering, at the moment, there's no barrier between the lawn and the garden. I'm thinking about putting a steel 200mm uh, barrier in, into the ground. Is that going to work and help me um, keep the lawn out of the garden? Yeah, look, you, you, that'll stop the stolons on top. So definitely stop um, those from, from um, spreading in. But it won't stop if you've got a kaikuyu or a cooch, then it won't stop the underground ones. But uh, look, an interesting way that you can slow that down is um, they, they won't be as – those runners, those underground rhizomes, won't hunt as much if they're happy. So um, well-fed, well-watered um, lawns don't aren't as invasive. So if you're, if you're um, fertilising and, and maintaining your garden beds more than you're doing your lawns, your lawn's going to hunt into that happy hunting ground um, more vigorously. So that's that's a couple of um, yeah, little suggestions there for you. All right. Okay. Thank you. Thanks for the call, Kim. Nice to get the program going. Raylene is in Inglewood. Uh, Raylene, you've got a conquest lawn underneath your weeds. That's correct, yes. <laughs> yes, I'm conquest. Just wondering... um, conquest coach, yep. We're mm-hmm. off to rip that out. We, we were in a very wet area. And every year, um, I actually hand weed the the weeds out. I pick them out because the conquest is great underneath. Yep. Um, one interesting um, way forward for you might be um, because you've had weeds in there for a while. Um, they can they seed and they create this seed bank in the in the in the soil, and that's why you keep getting regenerations of new new weeds in right. there. Would be to um, consider a pre-emergent type um, eradication strategy, and it's a it's a chemical that you put down in your soil. It is it is a chemical, but it's a it's a short term uh, one where you you put it in for for a um, for a period, um, and it stops seeds from germinating. So then you don't get the continuous generations keeping on coming on. Um, that's that's where I'd go for you. It's called Spartan. Um, it's a really good, um, uh, effective way of of stopping weeds from coming up in the first place. Spartan. Mm, yep, that's the one. So when would I apply that after I've ripped all the weeds out, or? Yeah, Spartan doesn't kill anything that's living. It just stops seeds from germinating. So, um, if, if effectively right. you can you can um, remove what's there, um, put Spartan down, you won't get any regermination. Stefan, I should perhaps mention that Spartan is not a a, a weedicide that you'd find in every garden centre. Probably, uh, no. if you're contacted, uh, say uh, if you have somebody mowing your lawn, they would have access to that chemical. And there are yes. lawn specialist companies like yours uh, and, and others that, mm. uh, of course, have access to that chemical. Raylene, Correct. good luck with that. I can relate fully. <laughs> Caitlin is in Wilmington. Now you've got a cooch lawn, Caitlin. I do, and I think this might have been the one of, similar to the last question, sorry, but I did a renovation on my Tiscuff lawn about five weeks ago, so we scarified it um, and aerated it and put a top dressing on and forgot to put a pre-emergent spray on. Um, now we've got a lot of broadleaf weeds coming through, so I'm just wondering, do we put a post-emergent spray on it 
and then pre-emergent or what the time difference between putting those two sprays is. Yeah, yeah and yeah, the, the way you're talking is the right way. So you clean out what's there. So Spartan should be applied to a clean lawn once you've actually got rid of the weeds and you can either do that by hand pulling them or by using a, like a herbicide, um, a selective herbicide. Is that is that okay as well? Uh, if you've got access to that, that's a that's a more of a commercial chemical. But um, you know your, yeah. your typical ones that you would use around the, the home would be your um, um, broadleaf bin dyes and um, even bow and arrow and um, other ones like buffalo lawn weeder. They're um, all, all good for, for controlling weeds. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And then put the so uh, the post-emergent spray and then put the pre-emergent on. How what sort of a time frame for gap between the two applications? I'd, I'd give it a couple of weeks. Um, I'd never yep. mix chemicals together or um, um, do them to do, do them at the same time. So um, just just allow those um, those existing weeds to die off over the period of two or three weeks, and then you can work on to your, your um, pre-emergent. Stefan, let's come back to the uh, uh, pre uh, the post-emergent spray. Uh, you've mentioned a couple of chemicals, and they're not readily available to home gardeners. Uh, from a home gardening point of view, if they just rocked into their local garden centre, uh, what kind of uh, a weedicide yeah. would they ask for to get rid of the dandelions and all those broadleaf weeds out of your, your grasses, such as your cooch and your buffalo? Yep. Um, so Yates had one called Buffalo Lawn Weeder. Um, there's another one from Amgro called Bindi, and they're most they're they're, um, they're bromoxynil MCPA based um, selective broadleaf herbicides for lawns. Okay, and those and two chemicals are MCPA and bromoxynil. That's right. Okay, yep. and they're safe safe for use on cooch, kaikou, and buffalo. And you've, you've got to be careful with buffalo that you do actually use bromoxynil. Um, some um, some chemicals are not good for use on. Buffalo lawns. But, okay. but, but, uh, but maybe not use them on a, a weed and feed problem or a solution. Yeah, just just avoid those um, ones that have. Uh, I would look. I would avoid the weed and feed or the um, uh, hose on a type applicator. Um, just a bit hit and miss there with those, and also avoiding the dicamba um, active ingredient. Okay, well, Caitlin seemed to really know what she was talking about. Well done. Thank you for the call, Caitlin. Uh, Greg has called in from Straff. Now, you've got some toadstools coming up in your cooch, Greg. Yes, how are you, people? Thanks for taking my call. Uh, Stefan, i got a beautiful Santa Ana cooch lawn, and for probably three or four years I've got patches of toadstools, small toadstools coming up in sort of groups around the front and back lawns. Do you know what I can do to control those? Yeah, there's no um, chemical that you can use to um, get rid of toadstools, but often they're, in fact, all the time, they're growing on organic material in the soil. And if they're coming up in the same place um, year on year, it's probably because there's a dead or dying or decaying um, root zone in there from a tree or something that's been there in the past. So um, often just um, scratching beneath the surface with a hand trowel, you'll, 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 you'll discover the, um, a dead or dying root um, in there that's... Um, that they're feeding on, and that's what they do. So um, in removing that food source, you effectively remove the problem. Yeah, right. Because I, uh, I, I scalp and core most years. Would that help? Yep. Uh, no. Um, it, scalping and coring both um, um, won't really do much to control a, a toadstool or mushroom problem. Um, it really is um, um, finding out where the food source is um, and controlling yeah. that. Um, you can pull them out as you see them, of course, but they keep coming. So. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've been pulling them out and they keep coming back. Yeah. All right, yep. I'll try that. What bird have you got in the background there, Greg? That's Charlie the Galah. Charlie the Galah. Okay, well, yeah, Charlie, got, Charlie's been out. on air with you. Yeah, he got out a couple of nights ago. Oh. 
Well, I'm so glad we he's safe and sound. <laughs> Thanks for the call, Greg. one three hundred triple two eight nine one is the phone line. Um, and I've been reminded by Susie, who's our uh, emergency broadcaster here, to let you know that there are total fire bans today for the Eastern Air Peninsula and the northeast pastoral districts. So there is extreme fire danger in those. So please be aware of that. Uh, call in now, one three hundred triple two eight nine one. Talk Back Gardening with John Lamb and Deb Tribe on ABC Radio Adelaide, South Australia and Broken Hill. We have our special guest, a turf consultant, Stefan Palm, with us for a few minutes. If you'd like to ask him a question, call in quickly on 1300 Stephanie from Flagstaff Hill has done just that. Welcome, Stephanie. Oh, good morning, Deb. Thank you. Um, Stefan, I was just wondering if there's a variety of grass that can survive under a grapevine. Um, yes, yep. Tough one or yep. <laughs> am I asking yeah, the impossible? You've got, <laughs> you've got the shade. So um, shade yeah. is, um, once you, you introduce shade and, and probably heavy shade during the um, important months for, for a grass um, is difficult. So um, look, if you've got, it depends on the aspect. Um, if you can get a couple yeah. of hours of sun per day underneath it, then you could use a buffalo lawn. You definitely want to avoid right. um, cooch and kaikuyu. Um, because right. they just won't grow in the shade at all. And if the, if if you don't have those couple hours of sun a day, you you have to move into the the, the tall fescue and ryegrass type seeded lawns um, because they have a really high level of shade tolerance. They're not particularly oh, okay. shade um, um, durable or drought tolerant, but they're very shade tolerant. Yep. Oh, okay. So that, or or the of course, shall I mention the fake grass? <laughs> I'm trying to wow. avoid. I'm, no, yeah, a, that is not an option. But <laughs> Stephanie, <laughs> I don't want to do that. It's either pavers or uh, guilty is charged out the front, though. <laughs> but <laughs> yes, um, okay. Well, thanks for your help, Stefan. No problems. Thanks for the call. Uh, Kathy is in Spalding. Uh, Kathy, you're interested in Lipia lawn. Yes, I'd want to know if that would be suitable to grow and where can you obtain it? I live well, in the Lippia, country, not, not the Yeah, Lippia Lawn was a brilliant um, old school ground cover that hasn't been around for a long time. So um, ultra durable, um, um, drought tolerant to the ends of the, of the earth, um, but not commercially available. So the only way you can really... Um, get lipia is to know where some lipia is growing and look often you can see it in, in public spaces every now and again I see it when I'm walking around um, and you can grab it and you can plant it you can propagate it um, and so you can grab pieces of it um, runners of it and, and plant them in your own garden um, or your own lawn and, and grow it that way but you can't buy a seed and I'm not I'm not aware of um, of any commercial commercially available pots of it or plants of it unless um, I can be proven wrong there but I'm happy to um, here if there is some available, but not, not to my knowledge. Oh, thank you very much. Okay, sorry the That's news isn't better, Cathy. Thank you for the call. <laughs> we appreciate that. Jean is in Victor Harbour with a cooch lawn and a big gum tree. Hi, Jean. Hello. Hello. It's a, yes, it's a big gum tree growing on the, on the footpath and alongside of it there's a path and then alongside of that is our lawn and um, there's a dead patch it's not quite dead because there's some bits and pieces I've tried to plant in there but it's just not growing and I'm just wondering whether there's a special kind of seed that I can put in there that is going to overcome that um, yeah, situation. There's, op- there's, 
there's two reasons why lawn doesn't grow under gum trees, and one of them is um, um, the shade aspect. Although sometimes you can actually get enough sh- enough sun to grow a cooch under a under a gum tree if it's a big tall one with um, a, a high canopy. Um, but the other interesting reason why um, lawns often don't grow very well in and around gum trees is because gum trees leave the soil very oily for a number of reasons, very water repellent. Um, and so often just the application of a wetting agent in and around the, um, the canopy area of a, of a um, eucalyptus tree um, will solve a lot of problems like that because it allows nutrient and water to penetrate deeper into the soil, which is often the problem. So, oh, right. Okay, then. Well, that'd yeah. be good. So there's no, no seed or anything that I'll plant in there that's going to stop it? Yeah, there is. I mean, you could you could go for a ryegrass, which looks kind of similar to the cooch, but you by doing that, you are introducing a, a grass that, while it looks um, relatively similar, it is more thirsty and less durable. Um, and so I, I would want to investigate whether or not you could solve it simply with using wetting agents first. And then so if I'd you could... use the wetting agent by the sound of that. Mm. Yeah, so try that first and then and you can introduce rye if you need to. Stefan, thank, uh, thank you for the call, Jane. Yeah. Uh, Stefan, on, on that of grasses, have you had any experience with some of our native grasses like kangaroo grass or wallaby grass so that uh, you're not having a lawn but you're having a grass and, and yeah. presumably those kind of uh, plants are far more durable than probably uh, the uh, European type of things? Yeah, those microlinas um, are are good um they're once again they, they they are actually commercially available you can there are people out there that hand harvest those seeds and so there are native seed um providers that can um that can provide those seeds but um yeah they give a different appearance than a, than a regular um manicured lawn but they definitely are durable and they um they give that native look as well yeah um, someone on the text line asks if lipia is a declared weed in south australia no no no. I don't think so. Okay, no. good. No, it is in New South Wales and other... Yeah, I mean, it's very aggressive. And if you give it moisture, it takes off like a rocket. Right. Um, I can remember, uh, you probably will, Deb, in Riverland, uh, you would find that many of the lawns many years ago used to be lipia lawns. And so yeah. long as you didn't have uh, kids that sort of were allergic to bees, that bees. was a, a yep. good solution. Yeah, exactly. Just on the text line, thank you for these. Um one texter says, I use dichondra in my shady corners. It runs into the cooch and fills in the gaps under trees. So that's a suggestion. And this person I'm very envious of says, my lawn had a fertiliser four to six weeks ago. It's gone gangbusters. It's green, lush and no weeds at all. Hand pulled those. It's also a weed itself because it's kaikuyu. So there you go. Ah, happy days. Thank you for that. And um, just uh, in relation to the time, Luke says, great time to lay a, a new lawn. Is he right there, Stephanie? Absolutely. It's still the great, the perfect time you need to do it. Like you, you've still got the combination of, of soil temperature and rain and, and sunlight. So, yeah, even though it's cooler and wetter, it's still the perfect time. For sure. Stefan, before you disappear, weeds. Many people have got lots of weeds in their lawn and they're piling up to their garden centre, buying a weed aside, spraying it and saying, oh, it didn't work. And there's probably a good reason, or maybe um, we could look at it the other way. How can you improve the effectiveness of the weedicide that you're using by just uh, a simple addition of another chemical? Yeah, um, and it's not even a harsh one. It's just a simple surfactant. Um, if you think that when you put your um, weedicide into the water, most of it, 95% of it or more, is, is water, and water has surface tension. Um, and so when you spray that water out over your weeds, it, it sits on the weed like a droplet of water. 
um, like a bead, like water on wax, essentially. Um, and only the bottom of the droplet makes contact with the leaf of the weed. And some weeds even um, make that worse by having waxy surfaces or hairy surfaces. And so you end up getting um, very little contact from the um, from the herbicide that you're trying to spray and the contact of the weed, of the weed which of course is essential to making it um, do what it needs to do. So by putting just a small amount of surfactant or wetter and spreader or wetting agent um, in with your um, um, your mix, just five mils with a five-litre um, wow. pressure sprayer is enough to break the surface tension and get a really good coverage over the leaf of the, of the weed. You're, using the, you're using the yeah. term surfactant. What would people ask for if they go to their garden centre? Look, it could. Um, there is a, a product um, called Wetter and Spreader by a local company here called um, Heineger, um, which you can use, and often that's stocked um, as a 150ml um, bottle of, of um, exactly that uh, to be used with chemicals. Otherwise, you can just use your um, your, your, your um, home uh, wetting agents, like your, your classic concentrates that you would buy on the shelf just to do your usual soil wetting. So sort of a, one of the soapies kind of materials. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, it, yep. it, it, I'm miffed a little bit in the fact that um, there's a lot of uh, publicity given to weedicides um, and uh, there's very little information available about the need to use surfactants and one would assume that you'd have your bottle of weedicide on the shelf and next to it a little su- bottle of surfactant and, <laughs> and uh, there's so, so little information out about its effectiveness. 100%, and it's such a simple, cheap thing that you do. Like, it's there's not much effort involved in it. It's And, and like you say, one should go hand-in-hand hand with the other. I wouldn't do one separately from the other. It's it's a, um, it just, once you do it, you'll go, I'll never do it any other way. Stefan, you write a brilliant lawn blog each week. How you do it, I don't know. But <laughs> it's all the information that you could ever want. Uh, just uh, tell us how we can access your lawn blog. Yep, it's just at Paul Munn's instant lawn forward slash blog. Um, and you're right, it's one we just write every week. And we try to pick out um, com- common um, topical um, issues and questions that people are dealing with and we write about them. So they're very seasonal. Um, they, they answer the questions people are asking. So, um, yeah, we work hard on those. Great. Just like John Lamb works hard to make sure he gets all the right advice in on the right weekend. <laughs> Stefan Palm, we love your work. Thanks so much for joining us. I know we'll be talking to you again soon. Thank you. Thank you. Turf consultant Stefan Palm. We've got John Lamb here to answer your general talk about gardening questions. Call in now on 1300 891 Talk Back Gardening with John Lamb and Deb Tribe on ABC Radio Adelaide, South Australia and Broken Hill. Citrus gall wasp is a major problem for many gardeners. And uh, we've been trying to uh, get the right kind of formula to control it. And if we take a look at the wasp itself, the wasp only has one life cycle in a season. And so you get the wasp, it's flying around at the moment. It will actually lay its eggs into the new bark of citrus trees. The tree reacts by forming a little gall. And that little gall will grow right through the growing season and be quite swollen by the end of uh, uh, winter. And uh, all of next season's galls 
uh, 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 wasps are inside that gall. Now, what happens is that uh, in probably late September, early October, the wasps start to emerge and they come out over a three or four week period. And once uh, that period is over, they're gone. So if you want to do something, you've either got to stop them from coming out of the little galls or else you've got to stop them from laying eggs so they reinfest the tree. And you can do that either by pruning, pruning the galls off just before uh, uh, late winter or in early spring is a good time to do that, or else uh, spraying the trees with kale and clay. And we've been talking a lot about do, uh, spray your trees with kale and clay. It puts a, a, a coating over the plant and the wasp doesn't like laying its eggs into it. Now, the big problem is uh, we know the wasps and we've been giving you the dates of when they emerge and when th- that date has been broadcast, it's rained and uh, they've reached a peak this week and again, it's going to rain. And so what to do? Spoke to entomologist Greg Baker and he said that the wasps are very, very durable. And okay, so it, uh, they've emerged and it starts to rain, he said they're very, very small and they hide into the cracks and crevices, so don't think that the wasps are going to get washed away. Uh, on the other hand, the kale and clay you put on, if you put on the spray then it rains, it's going to wash off a lot of the material and you probably need to respray. So uh, if you've got a, a heavy infestation of citrus gall wasp uh, and uh, you haven't sprayed, I would suggest wait until this weekend has passed or next weekend has passed and then put on a spray and you get the late comers. But uh, it's a fascinating little story. Yes, yeah, so the variable weather is certainly having an impact, isn't it, both yeah. on what gardeners are trying to yes. do and, and on the wasp and, itself. And, and later on, once uh, people have had their experience with it, I wouldn't mind uh, in the Good Gardening newsletter, we'll carry out a survey and ask, uh, did you, what did you do? Did you use an oil or did you use kale and clay or did you prune? So what are gardeners using and how effective was it? and we can then bring this information back to gardeners. Yes, you're always building up your um, knowledge and advice, as any expert would, by getting citizen scientists, which are home gardeners involved. It's fantastic, John. Uh, Just coming back to lawns for a moment, on the text line, lots of people talking about surfactants, John. Um, This texter asks, if it's so useful, you wonder why manufacturers don't pre-mix it with their herbicides. Oh, you can't do that. Can't put them together. No, no, there there are incompatibilities, So, uh, uh, depending on which chemical you're using. Uh, It's interesting. I mean, if you talk to a farmer, they wouldn't dream of putting on uh, a weedicide or a lot of the chemicals that they spray without using a surfactant simply because it's just so effective from going from 5% effectiveness you go to 100% effectiveness. Gee, well Kelly in New South Wales and Ashton both ask can you use dishwashing detergent as a surfactant because a surfactant is is a, a, a soapy material That's that right, in, yes. increases the wet it acts like a wetting agent doesn't yes, it? Yes it depends yeah. on it if, if it's a, a registered organic or it, it's, it's one of those soft ones uh, then it doesn't contain salts and things like that, that's okay but they're not nearly as effective as a surfactant which has been designed to actually make that little droplet spread rather than stay there as a little yeah. droplet. so that's one case where it might be best to go to the actual product itself. Yeah, but you can use that and you can, you know, oils, canola oil or something like that, your cooking oils uh, you could use a little drop of that, that's just as effective. Okay, thank you Rosemary is in Dulwich, is everything coming up roses, Rosemary? <laughs> yes it is 
apart from the ones that have been hit by the heat and then blown by the storm. Yes, a lot of them around, I think. Yes. Um, I did send a photo because um, a couple of weeks ago... We don't get photos anymore, Rosemary, on our text line. I've heard that, so I'll have to tell you what's happened. A couple of weeks ago, someone described um, roses being self-seeded and I have the same issue. I have um, two that have flowered at about um, 20 centimetres high and one that has just popped up and it has three leaves on it. Um, and uh, they're in a, a hanging basket that I usually grow begonias and they haven't put their heads up yet. I'm wondering what to do with these very pretty little tiny rose plants. Well, I think just enjoy them. Uh, there are so many uh, uh, new varieties coming onto it. Uh, uh, to try and sell it uh, commercially, I think, would be very, very difficult. Um, it would be important, I think, to uh, take a, a flower along to a, a garden centre that sells roses, mm. uh, lots of roses, and they're familiar with the different varieties, and just get them to have a look at it to see uh, how they assess it as a flower. Um, yes, yes. There are, um, I mean, when you get a seed, it's not going to be true to what uh, the parents were. It, it'll be quite variable. And where I've planted um, some climbing roses on alongside <coughs> my hen run, and um, it has, uh, uh, they have these tiny, delicate pink flowers as well. Okay, well, you've got a variation on that, but and it could be that uh, it, it it comes from a climber, and the climber is very vigorous, and you might have something that's got the same attributes uh, as a, a climber in spreading, but it mightn't be as vigorous, and it might be quite adaptable in a hanging basket, so give it a how try. Do I go, how do I go about taking them out of my begonia hanging basket and oh. putting them somewhere else? Um well, if you could, you could just chop up the section. Uh, no, uh, just take the basket. Uh, is it in a plastic basket or in a, in a liner? No, it's um, a, a wire scroll hanging basket. Yes. Green enamel type. And how long has it been there? Uh, the, the hanging basket? No, uh, the plant. How, how, is it oh, more than uh, 12 well, months it just old? It popped up a few weeks ago. Oh, okay. Right. Well, look, I would be uh, getting a trowel and coming out probably uh, uh, five or six centimetres from the stem and going down and, and taking out as much of the root system without disturbing it as possible. And oh, if yes, you did yes. that, and you can either put it into a, a uh, larger container with good quality potting mix. Uh, in fact, I'd do that before putting it straight in the soil. Uh, get it yes. re-established in a container, and then if you wanted to put it in a garden, you could do that. Thank you very much. Thanks for calling in, Rosemary. Nice to hear from you. Belinda is in Kidman Park. Now, Belinda, you are coming back to uh, lawns, is it? Or are you just talking generally about weeds? Generally about weeds. So um, I've, I'm new to gardening, um, but I have a lot of osteoarthritis. So getting in there with my hands is not, you know, practical. Now, I've, I've moved into a new property and I have realised that the, the garden beds are very old and they're covered in various grasses. Um, the easy ones I've pulled out, but the cooch-type grass that keeps growing seems to be coming from under the fences, you know, from next door. Um, and there's weeds everywhere. 
Now, is there anything I can spray on it that won't kill um, plants? So, so I want to. There's nothing in it at the moment, but I want to grow flowers. Sure, you're is able. Is there anything I can put on? Yes. Oh, there. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Are you able to do the spraying yourself? I can do the spraying myself. Yeah. Okay. Well, go and buy something that's got glyphosate in it. Glyphosate. Glyphosate. Glyphosate is, is is it's systemic. And it's under many, many different uh, brands. Um, But because it's systemic, whatever it touches, it goes into the plant, into the root system. It's the only chemical that I'm aware of at this stage uh, that has got uh, the ability to be able to control cooch grass and kaikuyu. And so uh, you can either spray it onto... It depends. Whatever you touch with the chemical, it will kill. So if you've got other plants... Uh, growing amongst the uh, the grass or the cooch grass, then uh, you need to be very, very careful. Otherwise, whatever you spray will kill. And if you've got that situation, if you get a paintbrush or get a sponge and put the chemical, you put a, a glove on, of course, and, and mix up your chemical, get a sponge and wipe the material onto the cooch grass that you want to get rid of. And that is very, very effective, and it will control the cooch on your side. It might go back into the neighbour's place and co- and control a little bit of that, but I don't think they'd probably be mind about that. So when I start planting um, flowers, is there anything I can get that will just take out the weeds but leave the flowers? Well, if you use your garden? glyphosate, uh, yeah. if, if you're worried about cooch grass, the only thing that will control cooch grass is your glyphosate. And no, if no, you wipe it on weeds. or paint, sorry. Sorry, just general weeds. Just, now I will do that, but when the weeds start coming up out of the yard, okay. Out of the well, garden. then apart from the glyphosate for your cooch grass, the other chemical I would suggest is a chemical called Success. Success is brilliant in knocking off virtually everything except your cooch grass and your kukuyu uh, and your hard-to-control weeds. But if the weeds are small, spray them with success. And what it does is just burns off the uh, the waxy coat outside uh, of the leaf and within a couple of hours it will die. And it is very, very, very effective uh, for controlling small weeds in paths. And uh, so long as you don't spray it onto the plants that you want to keep, uh, it won't affect them. All right. Thank you very much. I really appreciate your help. Thanks, Belinda, and it's great to have a new gardener involved in home gardening and joining us here on Talkback Gardening, so good luck with it all. Karen is in the Barossa. Now, you've got some citrus questions, Karen. Yes, I have. Good morning. Um, I have a lemon tree that's probably 10 years old. It's wider than it is tall, but it's only about a metre metre tall. It's all of a sudden dropping leaves. They're going yellow. Um, and yeah, a dropping. It is covered in uh, fruit. It's just flowering. There's some established fruit on there. Um, and uh, my daughter's just rung me and said the same thing is happening to her very much older orange tree. It's happening a lot in citrus, and it's largely associated with wet soil. Two That's questions. Thought, First yeah. of all, is it the older leaves which are falling or the new leaves from the new tips? Um, looks older, yeah, older leaves. Okay, well then yeah, we can take a look yeah. at your soil. Have you got heavy clay soil? Uh, no, it's the, uh, the lemon tree's in a raised bed and it's, um, yeah, not too bad, the soil. 
We were talking earlier on about the fact that it's not just the cold that's affecting the citrus, and they don't like the cold, um, and that will slow them down, but it's the wet feet that they re uh, really don't like. Yes. And what's happening is that there's not enough air around the root system, and there's not nearly enough air for the little microbes that feed the, the tree. Uh, and at this time of the year, it should be trying to produce new growth, and it's desperate. And what it's doing is it's taking the uh, nutrients out of the older leaves and dropping them, or else it's sort of saying, righto, we're going to have to sort of uh, be careful. Any nutrients we've got will go into the new growth and will bypass the old leaves, and so they drop. And that's why your leaves are going yellow and dropping. It's to do with the coldness and, in particular, the wetness of the soil. And if you're worried about it, I'd be putting some plastic over uh, underneath the canopy of the tree and try and get the soil drier, and uh, not without drying it out completely, but let it dry out a little bit. And if you do that for, say, maybe th two or three weeks, at that stage, the intensity of the rain will have uh, disappeared a little bit, hopefully, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and you can citrus. take the plastic off and go back to normal. Yeah, the, um, the citrus that at my daughter's house is um, alongside an old septic channel um, and that it that floods. Um, and so I'm thinking drying that out is just going to be too difficult. Yeah, okay. Well... Fruit trees, all fruit trees, don't like wet feet. Citrus, in mm. particular, can't tolerate wet feet. And by wet feet, we mean saturated soil. The soil is yep. absolutely saturated in some areas. Absolutely in the hills, the water is oozing yes. out of the soil. And uh, the trees are reacting and saying, you know, we need air. Simple. Mm. It's just such a shame if it dies. <laughs> it's so pro such a prolific fruit of the, uh, the, the orange tree. Yes, well, the important thing is after uh, the conditions go back to normal, you need to uh, put on some seaweed product to stimulate the soil biotas and, and the soil root system and maybe spraying the trees with a foliar fertiliser to get a quick fix of nutrient into them. And then uh, once the tree is putting on new growth, you can see that there's new growth forming uh, to put on a fertiliser program and putting on your organic fertiliser on a monthly basis, I think a little bit often is probably yep. the way to get the tree back into normal. Okay. All right. Thank you very much. Thanks for calling in, Karen. Um, on the text line and on the phone line, uh, Simon in Balhanna and Richard asking, um, did you mean to say slasher when you said slasher. success? Oh, my <laughs> apologies. Yeah. Oh, that's bad, bad, bad. Yes. Thank you very much, Richard, for picking that up. Um, slasher is the weedicide. Success is uh, uh, a very effective uh, insecticide for controlling cotton and moth, which I wanted to talk about. <laughs> so you've got it on the brain. There you go. Mm. So thanks to Gail. Thanks to everybody that's pointing that out. Uh, Graham is in Peterborough. Now, Graham, you'd like to grow fruit trees from seed. Is that right? Yes, I've already got them growing. What I want to know is will they fruit the same as their parent tree? Now, the quick answer is no. no they right. may. There's a chance, uh, but you can't be sure. And it depends. Some uh, things such as uh, a peach or a nectarine are pretty good in, in being probably you've got a, an 80% chance of, of getting something that's very similar to the parent. Uh, there are other fruits you can put in there and you've got a 50% chance. So a lot depends on what the parents were. Um, if, 
if you've got plenty of room and you're keen and you want to have a go, uh, see, let, grow it, let it fruit and test the fruit. And you might find that uh, it may not be like the parent, but it's still a very, very good fruit and enjoy. Now, that's what I'm more or less doing. I'm planting out on a 200-acre block. But um, I, these are older sort of trees. Like um, They're not the ones you buy nowadays. They're not grafted trees. They're trees that have been around for 50 and 60 years. Okay, the question? Well, just yeah, well, what, does that make yeah. a difference to whether or not they'll grow from, they'll bear fruit or not? No, no, no. Uh, the person that invented uh, genetics <laughs> hasn't changed the recipe, so uh, that's the law of, of uh, genetics that uh, uh, today's plant is, is the result of yesterday's parents. It's no different to you or I. Yeah, no, it's a tree's a tree. It doesn't worry me too much. I just thought I'd ask. <laughs> well, good on you for planting out so well, Graham. Thank you very much for calling in. Uh, I've got a couple of ABC Gardening Australia November magazines. If you haven't won anything from our station in the last month, call in now on 1300 222 You can use that number to get through to John. We've got a few minutes left on Talk About Gardening as well. Love to hear from you. Talk Back Gardening with John Lamb and Deb Tribe on ABC Radio Adelaide, South Australia and Broken Hill. We started the program, of course, talking to Stefan Palm about all sorts of things that were lawn-related and one of them was about having your um, wetting agent before you put your, your other products out or, or at the same time. Yes, but you mix them together, mi- yes. D- but Chris on the text line has said, and you mentioned canola oil and vegetable oil might be a possible uh, soil wetting solution. Chris says canola oils or vegetable oils not effective as wetting agency, uh, agents sorry, as they have no emulsifier in the mix. Please read the product label. Household detergents are often very alkaline and are unsuitable. Wetting agents suitable for use with herbicides are non Ionic, yes. neither acid nor alkaline. Yes. Yeah. In other words, they were designed to be used as a surfactant, something that spreads the uh, little droplets over the surface rather than allowing the little droplets to stay there. And thank you very much, Chris. Once again, I'm in your debt. Um, canola oil, uh, yeah. I mean, if you use it, you've got to keep on shaking it up. Otherwise, uh, it, it the the oil and the water separate and what is within a a surfactant is a a material what they call an emulsifier which means that the water uh, and the oil can sort of live together without separating and that's why uh, people say oh look you know I'll use some detergent or I'll use some oil you know you might save yourself a dollar but you're not nearly as effective Mm. and if you go and buy a little bottle of surfactant um, it's going to last you probably years in terms of you don't need to spray very, very often, but it's certainly going to make a very big difference to the effectiveness of the chemical that you're using. Yeah. Chris Butler, thank you much kindly. <laughs> Thanks, Chris. And congratulations to Pamela at Highgate and Michael at Atherton, who are our um, ABC Gardening Australia magazine winners this week. Now, John, you wanted to talk about soil temperatures. Gee, it's been a, a long going topic, hasn't it? Yes, yes. Um, soil temperatures is, is, is uh, it's, it's the, the temperatures of the soil which are most important in terms of driving uh, the uh, 
uh, growth of a plant, and uh, plants have that maximum temperature that they can uh, grow in, and also they have minimum temperatures. And that's why for 20 years or more I've been providing soil temperatures, particularly during spring and autumn when the seasons are changing. That information has been available freely from the Bureau of Meteorology, and they decided some months ago that they're no longer going to provide that service for Adelaide and so that stopped and they said it was cost-saving measures uh, so that's one thing that they're not going to do but uh, thanks very much to the feedback I've got and I found a wonderful source of information and I won't uh, name them yet but uh, very soon we'll be able to put into both the Talkback Gardening Program and also uh, the Good Gardening Newsletter on a weekly basis, the average temperature. An average temperature is much better than the 9 o'clock temperature. So yesterday's average temperature, and not just for Adelaide, it'll be for three centres. We'll pick, say, Gawler, Walkerville and Glenelg will be, and if I can get do a, a Hills one as well, uh, we'll get those temperatures and, and uh, they'll be available on a regular basis and more. We'll have a, an official launch of that when all the red tape's been fixed. Okay, thanks John, I look forward to that. Raylene from Victor is on the line now. What have you got attacking your Daphne shrub, Raylene? It's merely bug. <laughs> it, it hasn't been on it long. I noticed it yesterday on a few of my leaves. Is there something you can use to remove what's on the leaves and what do I use for the actual plant? Well, if it's uh, only a small amount of mealybug, I would suggest that you use one of the oil sprays, horticultural oil sprays. It's sold as either pest oil or eco oil. Both are effective, and if you spray the insects where you can see them, you'll find that it just takes the waxy material off the surface of the insect and it dehydrates very, very quickly. Uh, are the mealybugs near the crown of the plant or are they up in, into the branches? They're on the leaves as far as I could see. But do I use that spray that has one, two, three on the label? I don't know why would it have one, two, three on the label. Well, it's a, a pest spray. Oh, I see. So, yeah, right. Well, if you want to pay for it, you're, what you're getting is an insecticide, a fungicide, and a miticide, and it'll control all of those. It's just that if you want an insecticide, you're paying for a fungicide and an, a miticide that you probably don't need. But, yeah, keep on. You, you could use that. It'll control your mealybug quite effectively. Right. Okay, thank you. Thanks, Raylene. Appreciate the call. And we I've never heard the word surfactant, and now I've heard it a lot and I'm getting lots of texts on it. Rhea just asks a final question on that. Um, does the use of a surfactant also apply when using a watering can to put on fertilisers and seaweed extracts? Uh, there's a good question. It depends on what fertiliser you're using. Um, and uh, if it's... Uh, a foliar fertiliser, it'll have the surfactant in it or the, the materials that's needed to spread it, and so it will go straight into the leaf. If, uh, on the other hand, it's just a normal fertiliser, like a fish or uh, something like that, uh, 
uh, well, again, some of the, mm. the the fish products are ready to go. So it all depends on if if, if it's a ready to go kind of product, it, keep on using it because it's ready to go. But if it's not a ready to go product, in other words, you're getting granules mixing it up with water, then that's not going to be as effective. It might be a little bit effective, but not nearly as effective, particularly in terms of uh, getting onto the leaf and going in. Just bear in mind, if you're trying to get fertiliser in through a leaf, I can get a small amount. It's a very limited, it's a quick fix solution. The main nutrition for all plants needs to go in through the roots. And just very, very quickly, if you've got apples and pears, you spray with uh, success. That's the chemical we were talking about. Spray with success to control coddle and moth. Put that spray on as quickly as you possibly can because the moths are out there laying their eggs and there'll be little grubs appearing very soon. Until next week, good gardening. <laughs>